You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's nearly complete, you see. My system. Ah. Every one of your cases classified and cross-referenced five different ways. Five? Oh, yes. In this cabinet, names of witnesses. In this, name of perpetrator, if known. Victims trade a profession. Type of case. Abduction. Addiction. Adultery. See also under marriage. Bigamy. See also under marriage. Bonds. See also under marriage. This is Pauline Moran, and you're listening to the Labours of Hercule podcast, the next best thing to the perfect filing system. Welcome to a very special edition of the Labours of Hercule this time, because we are being joined by royalty, the queen of the filing system herself, Miss Pauline Moran a.k.a. Miss Lemon. Pauline, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me on. It's a very great honour. Oh, the honour is all ours, Pauline. Trust us. Really, really is all ours. <laughs> Pauline is not just the star of Agatha Christie's Poirot, but has also enchanted audiences in the likes of Nicholas Nickleby, Crown Court, A Little Chaos, The Prisoner of Zender, and a film that deeply affects me to this very day, the definitive ghost story the Woman in Black. More on that later. Pauline, it is such a pleasure to welcome you along. I know that it isn't just Frankie and I who are so excited to talk to you. We've had an avalanche of correspondence from listeners and fans around the world. Not at all. And thank you to all those people all over the world. I, I know that um, the series was sold to, oh, about 57 or 58 countries. Yeah. You know, really is global. We're always surprised by the um by the sign-offs we get on emails and things. Hi, I'm listening in, you know, Kazakhstan or the South Pole or something. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I also I think from from the lot of messages we get, a lot of people revisited or rediscovered the show during lockdown and said it was just the ultimate comfort viewing for them. So, you are a, a massive source of comfort and joy to people all over the world. So, yes. We'll stop gushing in a minute and we will ask you some normal questions. um, I can say that someone I knew in my school years now lives in near Seattle and she and her husband during the lockdown went through all the Poirot episodes again and apparently they did it again a couple of weeks ago (laughs) they tell me. So it's one of those sticky cocktails sticky content things isn't it really mm. it just seems to be such a global thing people just took the characters to to heart so much and um you were such a big part of that appeal i know it's probably a very basic question but but how did you come to be an actress because you were a musician first right? yes yes i loved theater and when i was 13 my sister knew someone who ran actually the great elizabeth watson who ran the Blackpool Cooperative Children's Drama Group. And I learned to love Shakespeare there, and we went into a lot of competitions. 
and won a lot of prizes. I did audition for drama school when I was about 17, but my local education committee wouldn't give me a grant. Monsters. <laughs> they had grants in those days, and they should now. I think education should be free, absolutely. Yes. Mine's free. Everybody else's should be free as well. And so I knew I wanted to go to drama school, but couldn't go at the time. So I think I did a year at Blackpool Technical College and School of Art, did art and drama. And then when I was 19, I answered an advert in the Melody Maker. That was it, the Melody Maker for a bass guitarist, female bass guitarist. And I went off and joined a Canadian band called She Trinity, Mickey Most who was our recording manager, I suppose the equivalent of today's Simon Cowell. He recorded us and we were with the infamous Peter Grant as our agent. <laughs> and we, we were, t well, I was with the band for five years. Don't let anybody tell you that The Clash recorded He Fought the War <gasps> first. They didn't. The cover version was She Trinity. Oh, we need to hear <laughs> that. He needed money cosy. Really thumped, yeah, it? <laughs> it was recorded in 1966, and we did, I think, we got to number 13 wow. in the charts with it. And we, we did one called The Man Who Took the Release Off the Floor of Grand Central Station at Noon. <laughs> it was Mickey Mouse Choice, not ours. <laughs> you know, we became quite a, a heavy band in the end. We had the great Barbara Thompson on sax mm. with us. And Eileen Woodman, as she then was, we had a, a Hammond C3 organ with a screaming Leslie speaker, a really big sound. And we had a Swedish lead guitarist who had um, a Gibson Les Paul, which used to, people used to, what? You know, because this is about the best guitar you can have. And I remember when she we went to meet her off the plane from Sweden, the road manager saw the case she was carrying and he ran ahead of us, got this case, opened it and <gasps> couldn't believe what he saw because it was a, a black Gibson Les Paul wow. with 22 karat gold pickups and a, wow. a pre-humbucker pickup on it. And it was, God knows what it would be worth now. I really do not know. Wow. Anyway... <laughs> The reason I ended up as a bass guitarist was because when I was at school, my friend Janet was in the same class and we wanted to be a rock band. You know, why, why should the men have a wall? Yes. The, the being in a rock band. So we formed a rock band. We couldn't play anything. <laughs> we couldn't play anything. Nothing at it's all. Like most rock bands. <laughs> no, no experience whatsoever. My brother had bought me um, an acoustic guitar for my 13th birthday, so I knew a few chords. Because I was the only one who could lift the bass guitar at the time, <laughs> I got the bass guitar. 
we were, the youngest of us was 14, and we were, I think, 15, 16. And we were called the Misfits, which was M-I-S-S-F-I-T-S. Oh, brilliant. And uh, um, we won um, uh, a competition for a recording test at Decca, which we didn't get, of course. But you won't believe it. 60 years later, that tape comes to light with Janet, the drummer. And um, Ace Records have just released three of the tracks by the Misfits. What? And their Girls with Guitars series. So, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable, really. (laughs) That's amazing. That's incredible. So is it out there now? People can hear it. It is, is, yes. They're sort of, Mm. they're compilation. Amazing. And, And I think the best one is you can't judge a book by the cover. But I'm a lover, can't judge a book by looking at the cover. That's why I was a bass guitarist in a rock band twice. Once in my early teens and once in my late teens. Pauline, you're the coolest woman in the world. <laughs> oh, mm. <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Even that response. Wow. I've, I've still got the um, bass guitar. It's just around the corner there. It's a black, a Burns black bison. Wow. It's a really serious bass guitar. Do you, so really do you, do you still ever, play? Do you ever thrash away yeah. on it? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't have an amp anymore. can't remember the last time I actually did play it. That must have been in the, the mid-70s. Wow. So mm. that's the last time I really played on a stage. Did you um, go from music straight into acting, or was it something? Was it something you had to have a discussion with your bandmates about, or was it something no, you just gravitated no. well, towards? Well, we we'd been together for five years, mm. and um, I wanted to go to drama school. There was no problem about that, mm. and I, I auditioned for RADA. It was rock band to another rock, uh, not getting into drama school then. Another rock band, She Trinity, then Rada. <laughs> and how did you from there end up cast in a little show called Agatha Christie's Poirot? <laughs> well, it was a straightforward... I had my hair a very, very neon red. <laughs> and I'm surprised I got old. But, but I, um, I, it was out at St Margaret's over towards twickenham and uh, I, I just went out on the train and did the interview with brian eastman because i knew it, it was miss lemon and there weren't many lines involved i said well i don't want to be in it if i'm just going to be a cipher in the background you know who who would dare say and i did get it very su- most surprised mm. actually but i did wow rock star ever all, all your life haven't you really <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but because yeah. you, you, I mean, you've made the point there, and actually, one of our listeners who wrote in, um, Sir, um, Saria Maria, Maria from on Instagram said, for a character that isn't particularly well represented and is only in four books, how did Pauline find inspiration for and prepare herself to tackle the role? Poirot and Hastings come in with so much material, but I imagine Miss Lemon required a more personal touch. Her performance was truly inspired. So did you have a lot of input into the creation of Miss Lemon? Yes, I probably did, because Brian Eastman had cast totally against type. You know, as Miss Lemon appears in the books, she's, what is it, a collection of bones Mm. flung together. (laughs) And she had wiry hair and wore a pince-nez. 
he didn't want that because he felt it it couldn't go anywhere yeah. else. So I was sort of a, a very straight laced and very not fashionable, but very very plainly dressed and efficient mm. sort of character. And I, I did have the odd input into the story. Well, you can see she does the He Ching, which I used to love. But I think the bit about the, the, the seance <sighs> in Peril at End House was sort of, oh, <laughs> she'll like that. So they put it in. <laughs> Iconic and, uh, scene. <laughs> And there was a cat in one of the mm. the um, episodes, a big, a, a nice Siamese. <laughs> <laughs> you are multi-talented, Pauline. <laughs> truly. But you touched on there saying about um, her aesthetic being quite simply plain, but Miss Lemon is undoubtedly a style icon. The amount mm. of messages we've had from people saying, Miss Lemon, her, your, the look, the costume, the hair, the makeup is unbelievable. And a lot of people want to know what your favourite outfit was and if you managed to keep any of them <laughs> after the show. Well, um, Sheila Buckland, who had her, a wonderful collection of original stuff, um, unfortunately she died mm. quite young and she did leave Miss Lemon's costumes to me, but... I never got one. So anyway, it doesn't matter really. But um, Barbara Kronick was another costume designer. And I think my favourite of all the costumes was um, a dress and coat that I had in How Did you, How Did Your Garden Grow? And a Celadon Green. Yes. And I absolutely loved that outfit. Gorgeous. And I saw it on another actress in another, in another production and I thought... It's too small for you, darling. <laughs> <laughs> no one can wear it as well as you did. There's no way. Well, and, and the other one I loved was the brown, a sort of chocolate brown with with uh, smocking mm. on the sleeve heads. That was a lovely dress. I really loved that one. <sighs> Gorgeous. There were several outfits I really liked, but those two. We have to ask about the hair because I, I don't know <laughs> anything else, but the first attribute I think of when I think of Miss Lemon are those curls. Do you want to explain how they were done? Because uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued. They were stuck on. <gasps> I've still got them in the box. <laughs> <No way. laughs> um, yes, but Brian Eastman, the producer, didn't like them. So he banned <laughs> them after, I think, the second, the first series. Mm. He didn't like them at all. So then it sort of shrank to maybe one curl there or one here or going up that way but he wasn't having the curls at all i quite like them yes Iconic. again again yeah. very much um it looks like you had an amazing relationship with everyone in the cast especially we refer to them as the white haven four you know jaff and hastings <laughs> and uh and poirot and miss lemon but was the relationship did it did it transfer did you have as much fun off screen as you did on screen well i don't think you know may maybe we saw each other maybe two or three times, but not, you know, mm. not socially, I don't think. <laughs> but the, the um, relationship mm. was very professional and we all liked each other. 
So that makes a difference. Yes. Speaking of why we were talking about music before, we had um, a message from uh, Lady Scribbler on Instagram who says, Dear Miss Moran, I understand that both you and Hugh Fraser play the bass guitar because he also, we know, is a musician also. Did you talk about music while on set or did you ever possibly have a bass battle? She asks. <laughs> no, there were no bass, bass guitars involved, I'm afraid. No, we didn't. I mean, I, I did know Hugh was a bass guitarist and, and that he'd been in music for quite a long, long time. Yeah. Possibly as long as I had, but maybe he kept it up more than I did because I sort of said goodbye to it all in 1970, <laughs> which was when I started at RADA. No, 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 no bass fights. <laughs> Not yet, still time. anyway. There's still time. No. <laughs> you could have one over Zoom. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> you could. Um, do you have like a favourite episode to ask? Because uh, I was watching Hickory Dickory Dock yesterday because I was you know, so going through all of your, your bigger ones like Peril at End House and uh, How Did Your Garden Grow? Do you have a personal favourite? Well, the ones that I I was <laughs> in, obviously Hickory Dickory Dock is the one where mm. I've got the most to do yeah. because the story concerns Miss mm. Lemon and her sister. Yes. Sarah Bedell, which played by Sarah Bedell because they, they seem to think there was a sort of physical facial resemblance between the two of us. Mm. I can't see it, I'm afraid. <laughs> but never mind, doesn't matter. We got on together very well. Yes, I did like that. I like Peril at End House, where we all stayed in a most beautiful country house hotel. Um, I think it was called Buckland Toussaint, or maybe it's Toot Saints, not sure. <laughs> and no, it, it was like a, a manor house, uh, a Georgian manor. And it was lovely, mm. lovely to stay there. Oh, Evil Under the Sun, because the location was Burr Island, which is a, a tiny little island. Yeah. And um, you have to go over the water, mm -hmm. well, through the water, on a most peculiar contraction, which was like, a, um, it looked like a shed with, <laughs> with a roof on it, wooden at the, at the top. And then it had long... Uh, I don't know what you'd call them, long, long legs, but they, you know how, like a concertina, like right. they crisscross like that and again, again, and then they open up like that, and it rises up, and then it drives through the water, through the sea, and, and ends up mm. on Burr Island. Amazing. Beautiful Art Deco Hotel, yeah. and there's a magical cove at the back of the island where it's completely secret and you, nobody really knows it's there. Good for hiding bodies. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and it's used in, uh, what, what's the name of the actress who's murdered? She's there. Olena Stewart. Um, that's right. She She's there sunbathing in that little cove. Yeah. And I think she's thought to be a wicked woman, <laughs> evil under the sun. <laughs> what is it about uh, you, do you think, that... Um the roles you take that keeps putting you on these houses that are cut off by water all the time. Yes, of course. Um, uh, uh, the woman in black is, is well, it's supposed to be mm. on an island. Sort of a walk, like a, a walkway. Way, a causeway, exactly. And uh, we weren't on a causeway, of course. <laughs> but the HQ, as it were, was on, on a little island. Mm. It was O.C. Island in the Blackwater Estuary. And um, <laughs> I remember one day, We'd been on location, we're going home, and it was in the dusk and very cold, February, I think it was. And we got into the boat to be taken back to the mainland, and it got darker and darker. And then the motor came out, <laughs> and then we discovered that they only had one oar. 
one or. Were you in and, costume? Uh, yes, I think we still were. <laughs> Uh, and uh, they were they they had to get us back to the island using one oar and a sweeping brush on the other side <laughs> because we were drifting s- slowly out with the current out oh, to sea, and it was that time of night where you can't distinguish the skyline, you know, the cloud, yeah. the sea. So it was an, a surreal situation. It really was. Good grief! Wow. But we did get back. Up a causeway without a yeah. paddle. <laughs> exactly. Thank goodness you could walk on water. Well, yes. I, I had letters from little boys about that. How did you walk on water? And I said, ah, oh, it's one of my special skills. But in reality, what they did, oh, God, it was another cold day. And Barbara Crony, who was a costume designer on that one too, as well as one of the Poirots, I had a a thermal suit with combinations and a top, and she wrapped me in cling film all over. (laughs) Then the costume went over the top because it was drizzling, and I would have been absolutely wet through without this cling film. And then they uh, (laughs) voted me out in the middle of this lake to stand on a thing which was about the size of a breadboard, something like that. About that. <laughs> and I had to stand on it with my feet sort of in the water, but not quite. Mm. But the problem was that there was such a strong wind that day that the water was, the ripples were going in one direction and I was sort of leaning in the other direction, trying to remain upright on this piece of wood. And fortunately, I did manage to stay there. Otherwise, I would have been in the water. Right. Absolutely. It was like... That's some core strength. Yeah, well, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's how I managed to walk on water. <laughs> Very cool. That film, absolutely. Very cool. And I don't say this lightly traumatized me to this day i still am petrified of the dark because i'm always scared that you're going to leap out at me um either that or i'm going to see you in the distance just staring at me with that malevolent sort of case the great herbie wise who directed that was very pleased with that scene in fact he dined out on it for quite a few years (laughs) They had me in the robe, uh, a sort of flowing, silky robe on a dolly, which, of course, is on wheels. And what they did was I was on the dolly standing up there coming in, coming Mm. into the shot. And um, there was a wind machine in front of me blowing my robes backwards and my hair. At the same time, the camera was behind the bed where Adrian Rawlings was sitting. And the camera, it came in towards me whilst focusing away from me. Mm. So you get a very, very eerie sort of... um, Like an uncanny kind of, yeah. Yeah. And and apparently... um, Very cool. Now, who was it used? Hitchcock. Hitchcock for Vertigo, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And... uh, so anyway, that's why that's that particular scene works. Plus the banshee scream. Mm. They, they wondered how I did that without hurting my throat, but I did rada training. 
that's probably why your throat's feeling a bit sore today. I think all well, of these is. years later. It, well, it's the spray thing I've got to put on it every day in order to breathe yeah. properly. So, but it does affect the vocal cords, there's no doubt. But I was all right then. Well, still you were doing the wind machine hair thing before Beyonce was. I think if everyone needs to give the credit to you for that look, that's well, unbelievable. I, I haven't seen Beyonce, I'm afraid. I'm oh, too old. You don't, I don't, you don't need to. You're the only queen we need. Um, Before we get off subjects of the woman in black, I I just have to say, um, my daughter Matilda was one of the first films I introduced her to as a horror film because I was like, you know, there's no blood or anything like that. She was like, "What's a good horror film to start with?" I'm like, "You should watch the woman in black." But I warn you, I said, "There's life before the woman in black and life afterwards." As I found out at the age of twelve when I watched it, the same thing happened. She was traumatized, but she's eighteen now, and I told her I was talking to you today, and she asked me to pass on her her love to you and her thanks and she's so sorry she can't get off school to get here just so she can lean into shot and wave at the woman in black but um yeah well thank you very much matilda (laughs) thank you have a nice day at school (laughs) well speaking of spooky things and you touched on it a little when you talked about parallel end house but one of the um, submissions we had was from draw daily pins who said ah my questions are are you into anything occulty and during the filming of the seance scene did anything freaky happen no i don't think so well it's a gift to any actress isn't it yes um pretend to be a medium and of course uh, um i did all the (laughs) is there anybody (laughs) yes and uh, and i did that to sort of rid the negative energies away and well occult just means hidden and i had a very great interest in astrology, which I don't really do anymore because I don't have the website Mm. that I once had. And things like Yi Ching, it's sort of, I didn't do tarot, but they're all things which cause you to think in a a certain way, you know, what's going on around me. And astrology in particular is um, you're drawing on a set of of, um, archetypes and it's very interesting to meld them, to put them all together and then interpret. But I'm not doing astrology today because I don't want a lot of people trying to find the website and being disappointed. (laughs) No. Because I I can tell you that over the years, I I had it for 20-odd years, the the website. All they wanted to know about really was Miss Lemon. How do you find that as a legacy? Because, you know, you're a musician and an actress. Mm -hmm. Poirot seems to be the thing that stuck. I mean, that's why we're here today. How do you feel about that being what you're remembered for, not just now, but by future generations? I should be so lucky to be associated with a global success, which it is. And we we worked with David, who is, without a doubt, the definitive quarrel. I don't think it will ever be done as well again, maybe in, in a century or so. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I don't think the, the newest versions are anything like or close to what David has Completely done. agree, Pauline. Mm. I also think perhaps um, the time you filmed it as well. We we mentioned this a lot. I mean, the architecture was still there. Mm. The, the, the streets kind of, you could still pass the streets for, for 20s and 30s. But mm. that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Everything has to be computer generated. Mm. Um, it seemed to be like a really sweet spot. They were spending the money and a lot of it on the production and making sure it looked perfect. Mm. But they also had the locations and, and costumers from that era. Yes, definitely. The production values were extremely high, Mm. there's no doubt. 
and and the the money went on the screen definitely it did Absolutely. and i also think it was well cast and i i couldn't cast jap oh, any better than Finn. no really he does make me laugh <laughs> <That's> so funny <laughs> but you all are yes in, in, in um, evil under the sun where he arrives fan out loud you know that's his, his catchphrase i love that and he sort of goes forward, ends up with his over ankle in the sea because he hasn't noticed and it waves his like that and the other one as well. And, uh, I just he cracks me up. Actually, it does. Talking of um of cracking me up, I have to tell you my favourite episode of Poirot is the Dream, which is the, the last mm-hmm. episode of mm. uh, series, series one, and um. I love your comic moment in that where you're complaining about the typewriter all the way through. Oh, yes. And then uh, Poirot arrives with a, with a nice big box for yeah. you at the end. Your look of anticipation as he's unwrapping it is comic oh. genius. Voila! Well, what do you think here, Miss Lemon? It's wonderful. It's... Now... We shall have no more leaning dangerously out of the window to tell the time, yes? It's just what I wanted. And, and it was a clock, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Stop the Rather than a typewriter, yes. Yes, a face fell. <laughs> many many of our listeners actually asked if you ever did get a new typewriter and if you're still having problems with your magnetism because you couldn't wear a watch of course oh yes couldn't wear a watch it's my magnetism yes. Yes. <laughs> well no she never did get a new typewriter because poirot was very careful with his mother yes. Buying chocolates and mm. yeah, <laughs> yes. justice for Miss Lemon, outrageous behaviour. I'm going to heap some praise on you because we had um, some comments from. This is from Phil's life, a work <laughs> in process, progress. Sorry, on Instagram, he's literally put, "OMG, I am issuing a proposal of marriage to the wonderful <laughs> Miss Lemon." Cannot wait to hear that episode. Lots of heart emojis. Are you single, Pauline? Are you interested? I am. In, in, well, yes. okay, right. Well, Party details along. That's no problem. Oh well. Phil's hopping on a plane. I'm, I'm not looking for a husband. I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm too selfish. That's the thing because I like to be able to do what I like when I like, mm-hmm. and I'm free to go anywhere. Yeah. That's what. You I'm just like. get better and better, Pauline. I'd rather have a cat. Uh, well, while we're, while trade, we're adding to the praise, just read some of the other lovely comments we had in. Uh, Dex EFC said, and I, I completely agree with this, the Grace Kelly of the detective world. Oh, no, I, I wasn't. I don't think she was English Rose enough to be the Grace Kelly of anything because she was sort of pale and blonde. And, you know, obviously Ivy League upper class. I don't think Miss Lemon was... A, ever that it's, I'm certainly <laughs> you're in a league of your own Pauline <laughs> certainly are you have your own rose garden um, another message from the suitcase detective on Twitter who says she was such an excellent addition to the show and Pauline played her perfectly I love that she kept up with Mr Poirot and was always grace itself no matter who she went toe to toe with I have to say you are actually the most terrifying but in a nice way <laughs> character of the Whitehaven <laughs> <laughs> Well, no she was very, very fierce, wasn't mm. she? You know, when she says, I told you not to pay this hunt. That's the best you know, thing. That was, <laughs> um, 
and, and he's gone ahead and paid Monsieur Trottier. And uh, just if, if you pay in cash, don't think your credit's no good. Captain Hastings, what is this? Ah, oh, yes, I, I was going to explain about that. I told you not to pay this account. Well, Mr. Trumper was very persistent. But you don't know tradesmen. If you pay in cash, they'll never forget you. They'll think your checks aren't good. That's amazing that you've done that line because we made such a big thing of that moment and yes. uh, played the clip probably five or six times. Oh. <laughs> Last time. Amazing to hear that live. That's uh, wow. Oh my goodness me. That's a, that's a, that's a dream fulfilled. I think my favourite funny little bit was the kidnapped prime minister. Yes. Poirot and Hastings are, are they're all in the office and he's looking at the map and they're trying to figure out <laughs> yes. where where they m- might be and I know it's where where is it it's, <laughs> what is what's the sequence of things she like Batley. No. <laughs> there was a big fire I can see the headline now Earl's mansion destroyed there was a picture of him fine looking man oh, Mr Poirot would you uh, contact? If that I have no doubt, Miss Lemon. But where was the house? It was in Berkshire. Good, good. It was in. Uh, oh. Try, Miss Lemon. It was called something Hall in a village called. We can find that out. Uh, Cantwell, can you find out the name of the house that belonged to the Earl of Connemara that burnt down a couple of years ago? Oh, the hall was the same name as the village. It was a name like Batley. Batley? Like Batley. Oh. Catley? Mm. Deadly? Fatley? Catley? Oh. Hatley? Somerset Hall? Yes. That's, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I'm... That amused me, I must say. Oh, yes. And us. Um, David Suchet gives you such a side-eye on <laughs> yes, <laughs> side-eye is just perfect. <laughs> that scene, we get so many people commenting how much they love that scene. So, so mm. perfectly played. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes, I love that <sighs> as well. And, and I think... Unless I'm mistaken, some of those uh, episodes, well, well, they were written by the late Clive Exton, mm. who did have a, a, a comic yes. slant, yeah. I think. He put a lot in. Mm. And, of course, Anthony Horowitz, mm. I think he... he he liked he liked to put bits in for Miss Lemon as well. Amazing. Some of them got the red pencil mm. because, because the, the estate were very hot on sticking close to the books. But, of course, literature is not drama. You have to have licence with it, I'm afraid. Absolutely. Am I right in thinking that when Clive Exton was bringing it to life with Brian mm. Eastman, they decided very early on that there was going to be this family at the heart of it? Yes, I, I, I think they did, which was a great shame when... Corian took over. They got mm. the rights from the estate, and they decided to go in a completely different direction with uh, feature-length episodes, um, not necessarily with all, all four of us in, but with guest stars. And I think that spoilt the family chemistry. Yeah, that was so precious, and they yeah. they just got rid of it. And, they really and, do feel different, yeah. don't they? Don't, yeah, don't they? with the guest stars, they come in for one episode. And then they're never seen again, so the audience don't don't form that bond, mm. yeah, with the yeah. character at all. They could have kept us all in, I think. And and there are there were a couple of stories 
that Miss Lemon was in, but wasn't included when they did it, which was a shame. Mm. You know, I think the elephants can remember the third girl she was in, so that it was justifiable to keep her there. But no, they didn't do that. And I think they got them, well, maybe because it was the, the last episode, the big four, um, they, they got us all back together again. We're going to ask about that. How was that experience for you? It was as if we'd never been away. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the relationships between the four of us. And um, I do know that uh, that final script went through about seven rewrites and Hastings and Miss Lemon got less and less and less as it went on. And that was Mark Gatiss who was writing that particular episode. They should have just let a bit less emphasis on the guest stars mm-hmm. and more with with the established characters that people wanted to know about and to see. Yeah. Totally new production team and you know they they weren't there from the beginning. No. Well talking of Mark Gatiss, I know Mark as well. And uh, so I sent him a message earlier today and I said uh, Pauline's coming onto the show. Do you have anything you'd like to say? He sent me a message saying, "Please send her my love and say that I've never forgotten Mill of the Stone Women." Oh, yes, the Mühle der Versteinerten Frauen. Because I know what a buff he is for horror films. Mm. I knew that he'd written this last episode. Curiosity, I, I wrote to him and I said, did you ever see a German film called Die Mühle der Versteinerten Frauen? In other words, The Mill of the Stone Woman. And I, I didn't. he didn't reply to that, but now he has. <laughs> So maybe he just remembers the letter. Well, it but sounds I, like he I, watched it and it horrified him in the same way that <laughs> trauma. You know, they, they were, it was like a roundabout and all the figures on the roundabout, of course, were dead bodies. Well, that sounds great. And, and, and then <laughs> it, it caught fire and all the, all the, the, the innards came out. And I, <laughs> I saw that in Germany when I went to stay with my pen friend in Essen. Wow. That's how I know wow. that film, and I wondered if he knew it because he collects uh, horror films, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's very hot on that. And he yes. was very flattering, I understand. At the was it the NFT? He was comparing the woman in black to the latest one with Dan Radcliffe, and he was saying he thought the Herbert Wise version was infinitely better. Completely mm. agree. And I, yeah, that's the general I, comment. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree because. <laughs> My version of Woman in Black, she appears only five times. You'll remember every single one of them, including the the jump scare, (laughs) the jump scare bit. And um, but she appears far too often Mm. in the latest version. So when it came to the big screen and the the, the terror, it it wasn't there. Yeah. To my mind, it wasn't there. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I know Mark's a huge, huge, huge fan of the 1980s. I think he actually did the commentary for the new Blu-ray. He did. Out, he yeah. did. Yes, that's right. Well, to bring it back to Miss Lemon, you know, it's fine. No, it's, it's all really good stuff. Uh, we had a lovely message from Jolie Texas on Instagram who says, Miss Lemon is iconic. My husband and I make up stories about how she lived in her later years. Like, did she find true love or she circumnavigated the globe or started her own consultancy for disorganised people? <laughs> what does Miss Moran imagine happened to the lovely Miss Lemon? Well, we sort of get a glimpse into that in the big four mm. because first scene miss lemon is living on her own with a cat <laughs> good choice a ginger cat <laughs> yes. and i i i think she's probably far too fixed in her ways to look for marriage or anything like that but don't know if she'd go off on an adventure he always liked things just so didn't he 
He was onto something, wasn't he? He had to be. I only wish I knew what. I've been so wrapped up with all these new leads that have been coming in. Poirot seemed quite content to go off and pursue things on his own. I suppose he must have grown quite used to that. Yes, I suppose so. One thing we know for certain. He was getting too close to the big four, so they eliminated him. Yes. Well? Well? Well, hang it all, Jap. What are we going to do next? Eh? We can't let Poirot die in vain. We've got to stop them. Now, hang on, Captain Hastings. We can't be faint-hearted now, man. Are you with me or not? For Poirot's sake, together, we have to stop the big four. Listen, these people mean business. They'll stop at nothing. If even Poirot couldn't stop them. Good Lord, man. I never thought I'd hear such conchy talk from you. Well, if you won't do anything to stop these brutes, then I certainly will. And I'll leave no stone unturned. Good day. So, what do I do now, old chap? Good old Hastings. Old soldiers never die, Mr. Jap. <laughs> Perhaps she picked up a bass guitar and joined a band. Maybe, Maybe. she did. Maybe she did. A lot of people <laughs> think that she would have been a great detective in her own right and maybe gone off and done her own detective agency, perhaps. Maybe so, because she did, she, in some episodes, she's out there investigating and picking up bits of clues and finding things out and referring to the mighty filing system <laughs> to, to solve clues. And uh, she probably could have done it, actually. I don't doubt it. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a lovely message here from William Hussey on Twitter, who says, please tell Miss Moran how much the show meant to me growing up in our traveller's trailer, me cross-legged in front of the TV and being introduced to a world I'd come to cherish and one that ended up shaping much of my life and career. I'm a writer because I fell in love with Agatha Christie and my portal to her was through this most cherished of shows. I adored every second of it and Ms. Moran's Miss Lemon was utter perfection. Thank you for such wonderful memories, William. Well, thank you, William, for those very, very kind thoughts. <laughs> and I think Will- you exaggerate. <laughs> I don't think he does. <laughs> I think he does. I don't think he even comes close. Um, <laughs> William also shared an article. Did you see this? Yes, I did. On, uh, yeah. on Twitter. And it was an article you did uh, all about the style of Miss Lemon and it was from the time when you some kind of caption like it was your your outfits and your hairstyles and you were talking about the in the ways makeup in chair and all sorts we can send you oh, these right. afterwards so you can have a look at them if you like yeah, we'll no i don't think i've seen that have i i don't know oh. check the filing system <laughs> it's in one of those boxes behind you pauline <laughs> yeah yeah um i i well my hair is now snow white it's beautiful naturally snow white. it suits you though it's gorgeous and, it and uh, my hair then was red which i love i love red mm. hair i've always liked red hair and i'm Still grieving for the loss of my red hair, but never mind. My agent thought it was a good idea to go white, so I have done. They did um, very, very intricate hairstyles for me in in the in the series, but I always did my own makeup. Oh, really? I, I've always done that. Yes, gorgeous. Because it's very iconic. So you've got like the the beautiful brows, the red lip. What what were your steps to creating the iconic Miss Lemon makeup? Always pale. Always pale. I can relate. <clears throat> and and it, it, there wasn't much. Um, I used to have eyelashes in those <laughs> days. They've all fallen out with old age. Just mascara and a quite quite a, a very I suppose you could call it a greyish greyish lavender 
thing in there mm. didn't really show up on screen and I didn't intend it to be, but they chose the lipstick colour. I wouldn't have chosen one with quite so much orange in it, but I don't think it photographed that way. No. Yes, it, it wasn't meant to be a glamour makeup at all. I think you just made it glamorous, it didn't you? Meant, <laughs> meant to, to just emphasise <laughs> the face. And of course, I wanted people to think that she wore glasses all the time. Behind lenses, you can't see the eyes. So what I did was, a, and you think she's wearing them all the time. Many a scene, I'm, I, I'm either, you know, around with them on, but I'll always t- to make a point with the glasses. I have to watch out for that now. Very. I'll never see it the same way again. No. I'll never see the, the woman in black the same way again either. Because I'll be worrying about you've got to fall off that platform. Yeah, at the end, in the, the cold. Water. Sorry, I'll oh god, tomorrow. it's cold. <laughs> Actually, on on the the big four, the locations, mighty, uh, it was cold. In the, in the studio, they they had these heaters all around. You know, I was wrapped up in a blanket in in front of the heater because I just couldn't get warm at all. And then when we did the funeral, Poirot's supposed funeral, Hmm. in I think it was uh, Kensal Rise Cemetery. But we were sitting in in a sort of a crypt, and it was bitterly (laughs) cold. And they kept bringing hot cups of tea and blankets before we went out to do the the shots in the open air. People just simply don't realise, you know, all glamour, the glamour of filming. You know, you have to be up. God knows what o'clock in the morning, and then you sit around for hours, and in this bitter cold, and the woman in black was the same for cold. Gosh, we only see the uh, the unsullied image at the end. Yeah. Don't we? Mm, <laughs> understand that people are there brushing snow off your <laughs> icicles, coats, uh, and things. Actually, the, the the one film that you don't mention in your list is the Trespasser. Oh. Okay. which is a D.H. Lawrence film and directed by Colin Gregg. And it was a South Bank show special from Melvin Bragg. And it's occasionally shown at the NFT. You couldn't possibly buy it. That's that's the tragedy of it. And it's myself and the late Sir Alan Bates oh. as a couple. And we go right the way through together. And that, I think, was one of the happiest films I've ever done. And it was warm and spring-like and on the Isle of Wight and mm. the seascape and the the countryside and I had fabulous frocks. I love frocks. Me too. <laughs> really wonderful. And it's such a tragedy that that film was only ever shown on TV once. Oh. But it's been picked up by uh, film buffs, I think. You know, NFT have shown it a couple of times. We have contacts and at the also- BFI. We can get this back out. We need to sort this. I need to see it <laughs> <laughs> badly. Uh, we also had a lovely email from Holly Rose, who says, uh, you kindly read out my huge Poro fan 12-year-old daughter's Holly's question for Hugh Fraser. She said, so if you have time, she would very much like to ask Pauline this question. Uh, she says, Sir David tells a wonderful story about staying in character as Poirot when stumbled upon by a confused little old lady while he was filming in Hastings. Have you ever had to be Miss Lemon when people have confused you with the character? Thank you so much. No. That's the, that's the answer. No. N- nobody. Uh, uh, occasionally I'm recognised as Miss Lemon on the bus <laughs> somewhere like that. But no, not while we've been filming. Okay. Do you think they were just a little bit scared because you were <laughs> Get told off. 
So uh, you were either the woman in black. I mean, 1989, by the way, was quite a year for you in terms of career, wasn't it? It was the year that Poirot took off and the woman in black terrorised everyone. <laughs> Something else in that year as well. I think it was... Um, um, Shadow of the uh, Noose you were in as well. That's, that's the one, yes. Johnny was um, the very famous barrister, uh, 19th century barrister, wasn't he? He was in the same term as me, rather, Jonathan. Mm. And what was it like to become that famous, you know, in such a short period of time? I I know you've been working before that, but um, 1989 seemed to be the year where it all exploded for you. Well, I suppose it's the when people are casting, they only cast what's in front of their face. Mm. And it's visibility, I think. And I think that year I also did The Good Soldier with Jeremy Brett. Wow. And Susan Fleetwood. I was Maisie Maiden, who died of a heart attack and ended up with her feet sticking out of a, a trunk. <laughs> All you see are the feet sticking out of the trunk. That's very hickory dickory dog. Yes. <laughs> yes. The frocks. The frocks were Again, absolutely frocks. wonderful. The from uh, John Bright's costume museum. <sighs> there needs to be a and Pauline Moran frock exhibition, yeah. I think. I wore it on TV <laughs> museum. Yeah. Yes, absolutely right. <laughs> I always keep an eye out who's got my frocks. <laughs> I know. Th- I think the cardigan you wore with the red bow has been c- cited yes. on a few different actresses. Yes, it has. Yeah. Yes, I've seen. That. But you, you wore it best, of course. Of Goes course. without saying. <laughs> first, as well. First. <laughs> exactly. First and best. You spoke a bit of German just now. And actually, there was a question here from somebody in Germany. Um, uh, Lassie from Twitter says, in Germany, the Poirot series was synchronized by several different voices. I'd like to ask her if she ever took notice of her different voice in other languages, and if so, how she felt about it. Well, the only thing we've ever heard, um, if I remember rightly, that's going back a bit, they played a a few of these... um, dubbings of, of voices uh, and then there was a Japanese one I think and I think we ended up unable to breathe <laughs> and with kids running down our face <laughs> just unbelievable amazing it's a great skill to, to dub a voice I mean when you have to do a bit of your own line again it it's mm. quite a skill yeah it's not it's not easy must be very strange hearing yourself <laughs> with those words coming out of your mouth. I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit already, but I'm just curious, when you first auditioned for the show and you kind of got your teen character, did you have any idea how iconic and how timeless and enduring the show was going to become and actually your performance? Not a bit of it, no. <laughs> No, and as I said, I very cheekily said to Brian Eastman, well, if it's only going to be, you know, slightly off camera and a bit of a cipher, then I I wouldn't really <laughs> want this. So, <laughs> well, fortunately, he ignored me. You know, I know. He's, he's great, Brian. I, I occasionally do see Brian. Oh, and we also, there's a, there's a running joke with him because Brian Eastman's glass bricks because they appear in quite a few episodes. A wall of glass bricks. Wow. Don't ask why, no idea. <laughs> but they've appeared in more than one episode. Amazing. And oh, yeah. oh, no, another question we had was, um, do you have a favourite character in Poirot, other than Miss Lemon, of course? Oh. 
Well, I'd, I'd have to say Jack. Yeah. <laughs> He's my He'll be happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Outside of um, this is just a random question, but this is probably going to go out nearer to Christmas. So, what does Christmas look like for you? Will you be curling up with the Christie, or do you think you'll be seeking out a ghost story, <laughs> preferably one where you don't have to walk on water? <laughs> Too cold for that. Oh, I would think the, the ghost story because I do, I do love the supernatural films and and series. I really love that Christmas. I don't I don't know. Um, I, I don't know where I, what I'll do this Christmas. I have uh, a couple of times been to my niece, but but uh, um, this year they're going away, okay. so I don't. I probably stay at home, and th- then I can watch exactly what I like. <sighs> <Can't> Sounds perfect. <laughs> Sounds yeah. If you need us to come over and uh, drop a turkey yeah. around and some chocolates and uh, that frock that we're going to go and mug that yeah. lady. If you want to watch ho- yes. watch spooky films <laughs> all Christmas, uh, sign me up. That sounds like heaven. <laughs> we'll watch uh, Women of the Mills. <gasps> Mill of the Women. Oh, yeah. The, Mill of the yes. Stone Women. The Mill of the Stone Woman, yes. Perfect. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Great. See you Christmas Day. <laughs> She's going to block us after this. You watch. Um, and what, what did you? What do you think Miss Lemon would be doing on Christmas Day? We we have theories, so I'm just curious to hear yours. Yeah, we have a theory. <laughs> well, she has a sister, of course, doesn't she? Okay. So mm. they'd probably be together. Maybe she'd go to this hostel that her sister keeps. And they'd have it sort of privately in the office. Oh, so pragmatic always, Miss Lemon. Of course, there are a lot of uh, people, in young people in, in that episode who did very well. You know, Damien. Lewis. Lewis was in Hickory Dickory. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yes, he's mm. done very well since then. Yeah. That's tended, tended to be a theme throughout the series. You know, people at the start of their careers have done amazingly well. Yes. Mm. So sad that you didn't get to make more episodes, really. Yeah. Um, was well, the Evil Under the Sun was the last one big dry spell before uh, big, big Four? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's when when the um, the rights went to Corian. Yeah. Mm. And the the whole idea was changed. You know, the whole you know they wanted a more a film noir feel, and I don't think it lends itself to that at all. Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's definitely, um, it's a bit reductive to call it cosy, but I think when you watch the earlier Poirots compared to the later, mm. there's definitely um, a sense that it's more comfort food. You're going to be uplifted quite regularly, even though it's about mm. death and mystery. That's sort of missing from the later ones, even though David Suchet is incredible. Yes. All the episodes he's in, but um, the heart seems to have been uh, lost from the sort of second half of the Mm. And the humour. It's the, yeah, yeah, the domestic chemistry yes. is gone. Mm. Really, any producer should have been down on his knees giving thanks for that mm. because yeah. it's so rare. Yeah. Mm. It is so rare. And if it's just coziness, then that's where the audience is because the audience, I think the first series got about 13 and a half million. Wow. Now, if you get three or four, that's yeah. wonderful. But then, yeah. you know, it, it was really so popular it was like a quarter of the nation wasn't yeah it? yeah <laughs> at the time yeah. it was insane yes yeah, yeah. Mm. yes absolutely gosh i just want to say thank you so much for joining us today i'm Not just can't, can't quite believe we've, we're talking to miss lemon herself and i don't think anyone else could either no or, um, we, we've been working um, towards this we've been hoping that this would happen for a while so we're so grateful truly yeah. thank you for not at I, all it it is an honor oh. you know to be recognized as a character mm. that you've done and, and it's thanks to you, not not to me, I think. Definitely thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to say it's such an honour to meet you, Pauline. I can't tell you 
how much of an effect you've had on my life, not just through Poirot, but things like The Woman in Black. Um, <laughs> I feel like I have a personal connection to you. I'm just such a fan of you and your work, and meeting you has been a genuine pleasure. I was wondered what kind of person you were, and you are, you've exceeded every expectation. Completely. So, uh, thank you so much for today. Well, it's my pleasure to, to have been included. It really oh. is. Thank you very and much. To concur, I completely concur with Adam, and just to say, to find out that you are a bit of a spooky person, a bit like myself, I really just want to start a coven with you now, ideally, but... <laughs> But um, yes. yo, this is the dream come true. We'll talk about this later. But uh, <laughs> Pauline, thank you so much for coming on The Labours of Hercule. What a treat. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.